2: Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. It is uh, after week one now. We, we have officially opened the season. So it's an exciting time, and we've got Dave Serrano and Joe Healy here to uh, to talk about all the action with us. How's it going, guys? Good, Teddy. Going, going great, Teddy. All right. So it was an exciting weekend. Uh, it was just good to have college baseball back, period. Uh, we have a new top 25 over at BaseballAmerica.com, you can check it out there. Uh, frankly, though, it is largely unchanged from the preseason top 25. So if you're familiar with that, you're going to be mostly familiar with this week's. The top 10 is unchanged completely. It's all chalk. The the top 10 teams in the country combined to lose a total of two games. So they all remain where they're at. Uh, so, again, that's Vanderbilt, number one, LSU, number two, number three, UCLA, number four, Florida, number five, North Carolina. Uh, outside the top 10, a few changes. Uh, we have East Carolina moving up to 11, trading places with Louisville at number 12. The Cardinals, one of the few teams, uh, one of the few favorites this weekend that lost a series. They they lost to UConn uh, down in Florida and Lakeland. Uh, further down, we had Arkansas trading spots with Auburn. Uh, Arkansas coming out of the gate pretty well, and Auburn uh, had a tough test at home with Georgia Southern. Got pushed to extra innings a couple times, so they flip at uh, 17 and 18. And then we had one team enter the top 25. That is TCU, the Horn Frogs had a really nice weekend, the MLB4 tournament uh, at Talking Stick in Arizona, and it included a win against number one Vanderbilt. Uh, so they both finished the weekend two and one and. The frogs uh, enter the the rankings at number twenty-four. Minnesota, which uh, did not have such a great weekend at their tournament in Arizona, losing a couple games, they fall out of the poll. So there is the the top twenty-five rundown. Um, everyone in the top ten, like I mentioned, had winning weekends, but that doesn't mean there isn't some interest, uh, you know, among that group. So. Dave, I, I know you got a chance to to see Vanderbilt, um, you know, over at, at Salt River Fields, a Talking Stick, in the mob Four tournament. Just what were your thoughts coming away uh, from the with the number one team in the country?
3: Well, it, they did disappoint me for sure. Obviously, they lost uh, they lost the game to TCU, but uh, uh, they're they're going to be an offensive juggernaut. Their lineup is loaded. It's balanced. Uh, you know, led led by JJ Vlade. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a tough lineup to get through throughout the season. Now we all know offense comes and goes. Um, I think the biggest question mark for Tim Corbin and his, and his coaching staff and coach Brown is, is, is settling the pitching. And I think um, from afar, uh, if you're a Vanderbilt team, ranked number one with the star power they have, even though they put up big numbers offensively, I think they walk away with a little bit of concern that they need to get the numbers down from the pitching standpoint. And I believe, I believe they have, they have the tools to get it done. I think it's just settling in to who's going to be in what roles and how they're going to use guys out of the bullpen to get that cleared up. Um, Obviously they're going to, they're going to want more of the Drake fellows. Um, I thought Patrick Raby for five innings looked good against Cal state Fullerton. He does what he does. Um, Throws strikes has great command with his fastball. And then I, you know, I don't want to hold it against the young man. He comes in with high accolades, Kumar Rocker, but he struggled in his first collegiate outing, and that's that's normal. That's normal for most guys. But, but Teddy, you got a better view of him. I think the stuff is there. Um, the command wasn't probably what he wants. It wasn't like he was overly wild. I guess he was missing um, not badly, but they're going to want more out of him. And I think the bullpen going to need to to step up and do better. They have the they have the guys to do it from the mound they're going to need to do it because that offense is going to give them a ton of run production. Um, they've just got to hold the, the opponents down.
2: Yeah, it was hard to walk away not impressed with the offense. They they really put up a bunch of runs the first couple of days, but you know, the pitching, you know, they had big leads in, in a couple of games and they just, you know, let Virginia and Fullerton kind of hang around and, and keep the game somewhat close in, in those two wins. And then they give up 10 runs to TCU on Sunday and, you know, Drake fellows came out, and uh, you know he was okay on Friday night. Um, he'll get better. Tim Corbin kind of attributed that to opening night jitters. That game was on MLB Network. There's a lot going on with that game. Um, you know, and then Patrick Raby was solid. Kumar Rocker was not. Uh, but like you said, college debut. We'll see what he's got from there. And uh, you know, I'm sure he'll get straight. He'll get it straightened out. And but that is something to watch going forward. They have a few weeks you know, before SEC play starts to kind of figure this all out, to figure out how everything fits best together. But that is something uh, that Vanderbilt needs to do moving forward. Um, so the
3: thing I I walked away with, Teddy, on that was the fact that, that it was weekend one. And I'm sure there's a lot of other coaches around the country that have a lot bigger concerns than Tim Corbin does with – with the players he has at Vanderbilt to get right. But um, I, the thing I was really impressed with was the physical size of their team. I mean, it's a big team. It's a big physical team, and it showed with the power numbers. That was a um, – Talking Sticks wasn't a small ballpark, and um, they made it look like a small ballpark at times with some of the balls they were driving in the gaps and over the fence. So they're going to put up some big offensive power numbers, especially point when they play at home and in some of the SEC ballparks.
2: Absolutely. That's one of the um, deeper lineups in the country, and and they definitely showed it uh, this weekend. Austin Martin, JJ Bleday. Cooper Davis kind of has gone under the radar, but he came out swinging at the top of the order. They just have so many options. Um, So, Vanderbilt, you know, it's a tough loss on Sunday. I I don't think anyone's going to be too concerned about it. Honestly, Tim Corbin might like that that happened. I mean, I know he hates to lose more than almost anyone, but. Uh, that maybe will refocus the Commodores, you know, let them know that there are things that they need to do to get better uh, as as they move forward. Joe, uh, out west, we had another, uh, you know, kind of pitching, traditional pitching team that, that did a lot better on the mound, maybe, and, and you know, UCLA uh, coming in at number three, they swept St. John's and they really needed to to kind of prove it on the mound because that's where they're young, but that they did a pretty good job of that this weekend.
4: Yeah, the, the first thing we, we kind of heard about this team going into the weekend is they were going to be without Ryan Garcia, and that was obviously a cause for concern given that, that pitching was really where we had questions with this UCLA team. Uh, and they quickly proved that uh, those fears were a little bit unfounded, at least for this weekend. And now they, they did get a good test from St. John's in the Friday game, uh, trailing 2 to nothing late, came back, scored three runs late, uh were able to uh come out with that 3-2 win, but then they outscored St. John's 20 to 1 over the next two days. Um I think I saw where their are pitching actually on the, the Friday game, their pitching staff didn't none of those runs were earned. The one run they allowed uh, later in the weekend was not they so they had no earned runs yet allowed by the pitching staff. So that's pretty impressive stuff there. Jack Ralston was incredible in his start, six innings, uh shutout baseball, one walk, seven strikeouts. Um, Jesse Bergen uh, pitched on Sunday, did a solid job as well. And, of course, Zach Petway, you kind of know what you're going to get with him uh, backing up what he did last season. So um, kind of thought that was going to be a more competitive series. And on Friday, it looked for all the world like it would be that. And, and UCLA did what a team that is as good as UCLA is kind of should have done with that series. You know, St. John's hung around a little bit, uh, proved that they could play um, with UCLA a little bit, but then ultimately, I think depth and talent won out throughout the weekend, and UCLA ended up with what is essentially an emphatic series sweep offensively. Um, some of the usual suspects, Chase Strump had had a big weekend, but but I like with their offense that they got some big games from guys who aren't in that core of, you know, Idens and Toglia and Strump. They got a big game from Garrett Mitchell. They got a big game from Ryan Kreidler. So they're mixing it up a little bit offensively and showing that they have um, multiple dimensions to them, and it's not just the usual suspects that can get it done on that side. Um, This this coming weekend, they've got a series with Georgia Tech, and we'll obviously have an opportunity to talk about what's coming up a little bit more another time. But I think it's key because there's a little bit of a difference between facing the St. John's offense, which that's the side of the ball for St. John's that we have more concerns about. St. John's was a team that uh, the three of us debated a little bit for top 25 coming into the season. But ultimately, uh, the lack of returners on offense and the lack of certainty on offense was the biggest reason why we, we didn't end up having them ranked. Um, and so, knowing that, you go into the series with Georgia Tech, and that is what we feel pretty good about with Georgia Tech, um, is kind of that they they will be able to score some runs in bunches, as they seemingly always do. So, I'm really interested to see um, how UCLA handles a road series, first of all, but then going to Georgia Tech, and, and how does their pitching handle that type of series against a more physical offense than what St. John's provided. So, uh, for this weekend, came I'm away really impressed with the Bruins. I think that's exactly what um what we needed to see uh from them there was, you know, St. John's was going to be able to compete on some level, but ultimately UCLA just kind of boat raced in the last two days. And I, I just found that incredibly impressive. Yeah, I mean,
2: I to score 20 runs the last two days against that St. John's pitching staff, I I think is loud because I mean we knew UCLA was gonna hit, but I really thought St. John's was gonna pitch a little bit better than this. And um, you know, that I, I still think the Red Storm are, are a really good team and I think that this is going to be a pretty loud series win going forward for UCLA. It might not really appear that way right now. And I, you know, people might think that the Georgia tech series will be even better ultimately, but you know, this St. John's series is going to be one that, that people look back on when we're starting to you know debate uh, seed order uh, for, for the hosts. I, I think this one will, will, will fare favorably. Uh, for the Bruins.
4: Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, we see this with St. John's every year. I mean, look, this is the reality of them being a northeastern team. A lot of times they're not gonna come out of the gate firing on all cylinders and but they are almost always playing their best baseball in May and then in June in the years they get that far. So I think this is a series that even though uh, they got swept. I think the the experience they got here and also the way we look at it will kind of age like a fine wine. I think we're going to find obviously that UCLA is going to be a, a national title contender throughout the season and that I don't think this is really any sort of indictment of St. John's. They're still a class of the Big East. That pitching staff, yes, you know, guys like Jeff Belich really did struggle quite a bit, but uh, you know, I think we're f- fairly confident that that pitching staff is going to be able to get them through the Big East with uh, minimal incident, if you will. So yeah, not any sort of indictment at all in St. John's. Uh, just more impressive, the UCLA was really able to turn the second half of that series, um, you know, into kind of a runaway.
2: Absolutely. Uh, sticking in the pack, uh, we got I, I got to see Oregon State here uh, in Arizona. Uh, they, as they usually do, open the the season with the tournament and surprise. And uh, on opening day, the the defending champs were down late to New Mexico. Before they were able to come back with a, a walk-off win. And then they kind of rode that momentum the rest of the weekend to a couple big wins against Gonzaga and Minnesota. So Oregon State opens at 3-0. I watching that opening day game, you know, it was New Mexico is a much improved team than they were a year ago. And, and they had a, a really nice pitcher in Justin Slayton, who has now two years in a row given Oregon State some fits here in this tournament. But once you know, I, I don't know how much of this was nerves. I imagine there was a fair amount of that for Oregon State. Just so many players in that lineup were new and there's so, been so much attention on them and opening day on top of that. I, I think once they got past that, once they were able to, to get that walk-off win, I, I imagine that kind of relaxed them. And, you know, their lineup really went to work over the next couple days. And Adley Rutschman hit an absolute mammoth home run against Gonzaga. Um, you know, almost clears the stadium completely in surprise. And, uh, you know, just as they get going, the, the Beavers, this is a, a, as their offense gets going. I, I think that it, it can be pretty dangerous. Uh, you know, and obviously it starts with with guys like Rutchman But, you know, both Philip and Jake Ducard, two newcomers sandwiching him in the lineup, uh, you know, can be pretty effective as well. And getting them going is going to be important. And, you know, as expected, Oregon State pitched pretty well. Uh, Kevin Abel was a little shaky on Friday night. Uh, you know He'll get better. He'll settle in. Uh, but Bryce Felma went out, did what he does on Saturday, and, and pretty much the rest of the, the pitching staff fell in line as well. They're still, they still have a game to go here. They're playing Monday. They're throwing Grant Gambrell. And it's going to be very interesting to see how Gambrell does. That's a guy who came in with uh, you know some, some acclaim. He hasn't quite put it all together yet. And if he can, that really, you know, makes their rotation that much better. So it's going to be interesting to watch him here early in the season where they're playing four-game weekends, how he does and how Sam Tweet does. who started yesterday on on Sunday against Minnesota as they kind of try and, um, you know, nail down that final rotation spot. But the Beavers' bullpen still exceptionally good. Jake Mahalan Brandon Eiser, uh Christian Chamberlain, all, all doing well out of the gate and so they can really shorten games if they need to as well. So, I, you know, we, I had some concerns about Oregon State coming into this. Uh, on Friday afternoon, I was kind of wondering a little bit more as, uh, you know, they were trailing New Mexico going into the ninth inning. But, you know, they over the last couple of days, they've they've really done a good job of settling in. And, you know, it, it's going to be a growing process for a lot of these young Beaver hitters especially. But I, I think they're moving uh, in the right direction and, and you saw progress throughout the weekend here in Arizona uh, for Oregon State. Now, as we uh, continue through the uh, top twenty five, like I said, we have one new team in the rankings, and that is TCU and, and Dave, you uh, you got a chance to uh, to see TCU to spend some time around the the frogs. What did uh, you think of them this weekend?
3: Well, it was interesting, Teddy, because obviously I'm very close. I, I, I'm a lifelong friend of Bill Maldzelo, and I'm, uh, I'm Kirk Sarlos, former coach. So I'm pretty close to them, and Jim Schlossnagle and I have a good relationship. With them. I probably have a little bit more inside information on them than most teams. And and I'd heard their what they liked about this team, and I'd heard what their concerns were. Their concerns were they were going to have five JC guys in the lineup. You don't know which way they're going to go. And I think it was a concern of ours, too. I mean, when we went through the top 25 and we were going through it, we talked about that. We, we talked about their struggles last year due to some injuries. Their offense really struggled last year. And how were they going to – what was the new facelift going to look like with the influx of J.C. players? And, and I think they got some answers. I walked away. Austin Henry, I think, is going to be a very, very good offensive player. Uh, a J.C. transfer from Walter State. I was very impressed with him. He came up late in the game in the 2-0 deficit against Cal State Fullerton in the first and second and took a ball to, to right center warning track that almost that almost uh, gave them the lead, which could have led to a victory. But I think he's going to be a good player. He struggled in game one with some base running mistakes, but those kind of things will be fixed by Coach Moziello in his offense. Uh, Jay Ginther, I think, is going to be a good a good player for them, a transfer out of Sacramento City. I think those are two guys they are going to look to to add to some offense. Uh, Hunter Wolf, another transfer from Walter State, the shortstop. Maybe not known as the offensive guy, but he's going to give them a real threat on the bases. He can really run the bases, and I expect him to have big numbers the way Coach Moselle runs his, his offense with so many – the aggressiveness with the base-stealing attempts. The guy I really walked away impressed with, even though all those guys – is a freshman named Porter Brown. A left-handed hitting, he's dh for him right now because he's still doing – he's having some struggles defensively but really loose hands. He's in their leadoff spot, but he has power. In there. And then I, I uh, in a, in a year or so, or a couple years, I think that's a player that a lot of people in college face, base, baseball are going to be talking about. I I'm really impressed by him. I think he's going to be a really good player. They've got a great balance of left and right throughout their lineup. I think it's going to take some time. And I hope I heard coach Nagel say that their team now isn't what their team's going to be down the line. And I agree with them on that. I think, once these guys get some experience underneath them, I think they're gonna need, even though Nick Lodolo didn't throw a bad game in game one where they lost 2-0 to Fullerton, I think they're gonna need a little bit more dominance out of him, especially out of his secondary stuff. His fastball is ninety one, ninety three, jumping out of his hand, didn't show many change ups, and when he did, they weren't what he wants them to be. And his breaking ball, every breaking ball he threw in that game was touched at least. There was no swing through on it, and they're gonna need a little different Nick Wadolo on Friday night. But kudos to Jared Janzek coming back after an injury, having surgery in, in May, uh, getting a start on, on, on Saturday and going four-plus innings. I think he looks sharp. He's a little bit different pitcher than he was prior to the injury, but I think his savviness and his experience will allow him to be successful in that spot, and that guy's had a lot of success behind him. And I didn't get a chance to see him. You saw him, but obviously Brandon Williamson, a J.C. transfer had a very good start in Sunday against Vanderbilt, which I think will be a key to their success because I think their bullpen has a great balance of left-right with some good arms that I think when it's all said and done, we'll be talking about TCU at the end of the year like those on most times throughout um, the past few seasons.
2: Yeah, I thought that, you know, those J.C. kids, Williamson on, on Sunday and the, the bats that you mentioned, that they, they did a very good job. You know, there's so many new faces at TCU right now. And, uh, you know, they – they just weren't able to kind of get that big clutch hit on two uh, on Friday night against Fullerton and, and they wind up losing, um, you know, two to nothing, but the, the bats really you know, found their stride over the next couple of days. And I, I thought that it was big for them to bounce back and, and have those wins because, you know, given what happened last year, you know, even if a lot of those guys weren't there, they, they still want to be able to you know put that behind them and, and get some positive momentum going right away. And, I don't know what does that, but, you know, better than beating the number one team in the country ten to two on Sunday. Uh, that should make for a pretty happy flight back to Fort Worth. And you know, it's important that the TCU gets off to a solid start because their schedule is not easy. In the early going, they're on the road an awful lot. They're home this weekend, but that's their only home weekend in the first month of the season. So you know, they they kind of need to to build some momentum, and I think that's what happened out here in Arizona this weekend.
3: Well, in their opening game, lost the, the two nothing um, uh, loss to Cal State Fullerton. I they had close to twenty base runners, so it wasn't about their offense. It was about executing with runners in scoring position, and I I think that was the thing that killed them. They made some base running mistakes. They made some bad decision on the bases, and but it wasn't about they didn't have any offense. They just didn't score the runs when they had guys in scoring position.
2: Yes, and uh, can't beat two out hitting. Um, over in the uh, the Big 12, you know, st- sticking with the Big 12 rather, um, it was kind of an eventful weekend there, Joe. I mean, we, we had Texas Tech stumbling out of the gate before finding its stride against Oregon. Uh, Baylor swept Holy Cross, but catcher Shaylang Galiers broke his handmate; he's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, Texas had a solid weekend. Oklahoma State uh, looked a little shaky with uh, Rio Grande Valley. Um, you know, Joe, you did the Big 12 preview. What? What are your thoughts and did anything materially change, um, you know, in, in regards to your your, your take on the, the race there? So yes and no, I guess. I mean, the pecking order,
4: I think, is really relatively unchanged because I think what we saw, I think, largely reaffirmed some of what we felt good about and some of what we had concerns about with certain teams. You know, with tech, I mean... That was just such a bizarre series, and I, I guess they're gonna. By the time you listen to this, we might know a little bit more because they're finishing up on on Monday. But that is um, not happening. It is too cold in Lubbock today. Okay, well there we go. Breaking news <laughs> in the podcast. Um, you heard it here first. Well, you probably didn't hear it here first, but anyway, you heard it here now. Um, so yeah, so just a weird weekend overall. So you know, the first ten innings could not have gone worse for Texas Tech. I suppose they could have, but it would have been hard to, to be worse. I mean, they they lost that opening game. They just got blitzed by the Oregon offense. Then they're down eight nothing in the first inning. In game two, and then there was like a second half of the series where they come back on Oregon, they win that second game, and then they they have a much smaller comeback on Sunday, but a comeback nonetheless to, to win that series. So it ends up being a pretty solid weekend um, by and large. But but I, I think it it reaffirms maybe some of the concerns we had about them. We talked a lot in the in the preseason about how. They've got talent on the pitching staff. It's just how do you piece those together, and how confident are you in them? And that was where they faltered this this weekend. It wasn't an offense thing necessarily. I mean, we saw that on on Saturday with their ability to kind of come back and get off the mat and fight. And I think that was the positive of this from from their standpoint is like they didn't just roll over on that. They they fought back from eight nothing down in the first inning, which is a hard thing to do mentally. I, I assume you know as much as physically. So. I think that was all positive. Um, you know, is there concern on the pitching still? Yes, those those questions are obviously going to go away. Um, but I don't know that it changes kind of the viewpoint I had on them coming into the season, which is like there might be some growing pains here and there might be just a lot of fluid pieces moving around early in the season. But with the, with the level of talent they have, and they can just throw big arm after big arm after big arm at you, uh, you know, I just have a, a decent amount of confidence they're going to figure it out. It's not that much different than what they kind of faced last year. And they ended up obviously... Figuring that out. So, you know, I still like them at the top. And then Baylor, you know, losing Langleyers is huge. And and I think probably defensively as much as offensively because offensively one of their biggest strengths is their offensive depth. And we saw that over the weekend where, you know, Davion Downey has a big game in the the last game of the series. Richard Cunningham had a 5-for-5 game. Davis Winslow had a big game. Um, There was a 3-for-4 game from uh, Ryan Bertelsman, who I'd never heard of until I saw it in the box score, so they're getting contributions in a big way from guys who weren't really necessarily, weren't even a part of kind of the preseason calculus that we made where we ended up ranking them so high, so I think that's something they can withstand, at least offensively. Now, defensively remains to be seen how much the opposition is going to be able to take advantage of that, but um, I think they're going to be okay uh, for the time being, and so you know, his loss hurts, but but I do think they are equipped to kind of deal with that. Um, Texas was incredibly impressive, and then, of of course, uh, TCU showed well. We've talked about them a lot already, but but Texas goes down to Lafayette. That's a raucous crowd. Gunnar Leger is back on the mound, which kind of whipped fans into even more of a frenzy, and they withstood all that, and they won a couple of tough games in the first two days of the weekend before, you know, almost mounting a comeback and winning the last one, but um, they showed quite a bit. So if anything, so that was my, my no, it hasn't changed the pecking order. My yes is that I, I think those four teams are maybe a little bit closer bunched than we even thought. Um, you know, TCU obviously jumped in the rankings. I think Texas, we, we were a little bit leery of them because of the injury to David Hamilton and, and some of their own concerns on the mound. But uh, hello, Bryce Elder. Um, you know, he starts on Friday night and is absolutely outstanding. Uh, Al Duels Gunnar Leger. So I think maybe it's a situation where those those teams are probably I I'd, I'd rank them the way we have them ranked, but at the same time I don't know that there's as much of a gap between Tech and TCU, for example. Um, so it was a strange weekend in the Big 12. There was a lot of stuff happening, but I don't know that I would really shake things up from where we where we have them now or where we had them in the preseason. I don't I don't know that all that much change in terms of in terms of that. But I think we were probably underselling TCU a little bit, uh, given what we've already seen. And then maybe even Texas a little bit. Uh mean, we, we, we thought that the injury to David Hamilton maybe would be a little bit of a bigger deal. And so we bumped him down a little bit, and maybe they'll kind of overcome that. And that remains to be seen, of course. So, um, so yeah, just an eventful weekend. But I don't know that it was anything that really changed any sort of uh, pre-existing beliefs I had about the league.
2: Yeah, I think that all makes a lot of sense. The, the Langoliers injury is kind of scary because... Hammets are things that linger. Like he'll be back in probably a month, maybe at most. You would think six weeks. It being a, he being a catcher, you know, sometimes it takes them a little longer just because of the way they're they need their hands. Um, but it, it's going to linger in that you know his power may or may not come back this season for for Baylor now, and you know what's that lineup going to be like if he's less of a, a power threat. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I think in the time that he's out, you know, they, this weekend they have Cornell, then they go to the Shriners Classic in Houston, and then they're at Nebraska, and then they have Cal Poly and all of that before they start Big 12 play. So he may even be back for Big 12 play but I, you know, so they can weather it until then for sure. But I, I'm just more interested in seeing what he's like when he's back. Because those final couple months of the season, it would really behoove Baylor if they had Langolier is at at full strength, and uh, the the sooner he's able to, to get back to that, not just to get in the lineup, but to get that bat back to where it can be, uh, is big for them. And you know, from a draft perspective too. I mean, this happened to Nick Madrigal last year, basically the same point in the season. He still winds up going fourth overall, but he's a little bit different of a hitter in that you knew Nick Madrigal wasn't going to hit 10 bombs for you. That that was never the plan. That was never what scouts were expecting. So Langoliers, it, it being a little bit different kind of a hitter, I, I don't think it's going to affect him too much from a draft perspective. Uh, but it is something to watch, especially in terms of how much the power comes back and how quickly uh, that happens. But the Big 12 race is definitely going to be a, an exciting one. And I think you're right, Joe. I, I think it is coming... I think these teams are maybe a little closer than we had thought coming into the year.
4: Yeah, and Oklahoma State too. I, you know, I think they kind of just confirmed what what we talked about in the preseason. We weren't quite sure what to do with them. Um, you know, you like the talent. Uh, you like that they overachieved last year, although that can be the other side of that coin, which is that regression to the mean is kind of inevitable. Um, so, you know, I just continue to not be quite sure what to do there. You know, they they, they you know had the the struggles they had this weekend, but at the same time. You know, talent typically wins out, and I think everyone agrees on the talent in place there. So, uh, you know, but but they do have the weaknesses they have. I mean, the strikeouts continue to be a little bit of a concern and an issue. And um, you know, I think there was hope that maybe those would get cut down and they'd be a little more contact oriented. But uh, sometimes, you know, hitters just are who they are. So we'll see. But um, I, I, you know, it, my your guess is as good as mine on what Oklahoma State ends up being. I would believe any sort of range of outcomes for their season.
2: We will see where, where the Cowboys go from here. Um, we mentioned early on that, that pretty much everyone that was favored won their series. Uh, there were a few exceptions, and Louisville was one of those exceptions. You know, I, I think UConn had the biggest upset of the weekend, knocking off Louisville down in Lakeland, Florida. And the, the way that UConn did it was was rather impressive. Of course, as a Northeastern program... The Huskies don't have the ability to get outside as much as some other teams. Um, you know, I know Louisville thinks of themselves as a little bit of a northern program as well, but uh, their weather is vastly superior to what they get up in Stores, Connecticut. So UConn had only been outside twice before opening weekend, and Jim Penders told me that one of those practices may or may not have actually helped any. It was pretty icy still on the, the turf field they were on. Um, You know, but just they wanted to get them outside to see the ball against the sky. Uh, So they were able to do that twice, which is, you know, about par for the course or maybe even a little extra than usual for UConn. So they're used to that aspect of it, but they were without Ace Mason Fioli, you know, an All-American at the front of the rotation. He's dealing with a little bit of a tricep strain here and is still kind of building up. And so they were without him this weekend, but it didn't matter. Um. UConn plugged Jeff Karstens into the the Friday spot, and uh, he he beat Louisville three to two on Friday. Louisville come, came back with a, a nice solid win on Saturday, and then UConn grabbed the rubber game uh, with an eight three win on Sunday in a game that they pretty much bullpened. Uh, it was it was very much a group effort on the pitching side, and on the hitting side, they scored their first six runs all with two outs. and, and We talked about how TCU wasn't able to come up with the clutch hit. Uh, you know, against Fullerton on Friday night. And, and that proved to be the difference here for UConn was was just two out hitting and uh, being able to to find those key hits. Louisville wasn't. And, and so UConn uh, comes through with a win, uh, a, a series win that's really going to resonate. You know, the, UConn put themselves kind of on the cusp of the top 25 with that. Uh, if we'd had a little bit more, uh, you know, if, if this was a week with a little more turnover, UConn very easily could have found themselves ranked uh, this week, and I, I think that we will see UConn eventually into the, the top 25. I, it's a team, They were a team that, that we were you know, kind of talking about potentially as a, a top 25 team. They're a little further on the outside than they are now coming into the season. But with what they did this weekend, that was really loud. Uh, again, they're going to get better because they're going to get Fioli back. And that's only going to help the pitching staff line up better. When you have Fioli and Karsten, the front of the rotation, those are two experienced guys. Karsten's a senior. Um, and then they have a, a big-time closer, Jake Wallace, at the back end of the bullpen to, to come shut things down. And the offense, you know, Jim Penders told me he thinks it's a little bit deeper than it usually is. And, you know, so that that's exciting. And, and the fact that they were able to handle a really, really good Louisville pitching staff this weekend to put up some runs, uh, you know, that was encouraging for them. And it's only going to help them now moving forward. Of course, because they're UConn, they don't get to go home for a while. So it's it's still going to be a tough road ahead. They play some tough opponents coming up. Uh, this weekend, they're at College of Charleston, which won't be quite as hard as Louisville, but that's still a, a talented, quality program. And uh, you know going on the road there won't be easy. So I, it, it's not going to be an easy first couple months of the season for UConn. But I think just the way that they started, the statement that they made, that was very loud and ECU had kind of, we kind of had looked at them as being the clear cut favorite in the American. And I still think East Carolina is that, but I do think that just the way UConn played and and the experience they have in that program, the the Huskies are going to be able to push the Pirates uh, once they get into conference play. So those are uh, several of the main stories coming out of this opening weekend. We we still have uh, a few more that, that we want to touch on here uh, a little bit quicker. Florida State, through an no, opening day, no-hitter, combined no-hitter, um, you know, three guys, starting with Drew Parrish, uh, combined it to no-hit Maine in an 11-0 victory. Of course, this is Mike Martin's 40th and final season as head coach of the Knowles and he has an opening day to remember uh, from his last season for sure. Uh, they've never, they've never done anything like this uh, in, in his time. Obviously, they've had no hitters, but not not opening day no hitters. Um, and it was a, a really nice start to the year for Florida State. They they open four um, zero, you know, sweeping Maine there at home. Dave, I, I want to look at the no hitter aspect of this though. What goes through managing a combined no-hitter? I mean, obviously, no one's more experienced than 11 uh, in college baseball, but what goes through the the aspects of trying to manage a combined no-hitter, especially on opening day when Drew Parrish is on a, a more limited pitch count than he normally would be?
3: Well, it's not easy to do. Fortunately, through my career, I've, I've been part of three no-hitters, uh, Kirk Sarlos when we were at Cal State Fullerton, which was later in the season, and his pitch count was down like it usually was when Kirk pitched for us. And Glenn Swanson when I was at UC Irvine, a young man that was as sick as a dog prior to the start of the game. We almost didn't pitch him, and sure enough, he goes out and throws a no-hitter complete game. The only combined one I've ever been part of was with Team USA, and that's when Sonny Gray, Kyle Winkler, who's currently – Uh, helping out at TCU and Noe Ramirez um, both Noe and and Sonny are in the big big leagues right now combined for a no hitter with Team USA but that was already structured on how they were going to pitch during that game as they usually do with Team USA I have been part of other ones with no hitters have gone in the seventh eighth inning where you're worried about a guy's pitch count and turn up you're kind of without taking away a selfish record for someone you're kind of hoping Maybe a hit happens, so you can make that easy decision. But it's tough. It's difficult. I mean, I can't even imagine what was going through Coach Martin's mind. It's opening day, uh, his last season of a story career, and this guy's got a no-no, and he's got to make a tough decision on when to get him out of the game because it wasn't about opening day and this no-hitter. It's about the longevity of a 56-game schedule and the postseason that you want this young man to be healthy. So it is difficult. It's very difficult to be part of. It's special to be part of. But you always got to put—you always got to put first and foremost the health of the pitcher, and that's obviously what they did in this situation. But kudos to them! What a special way to start 11th final year at Florida State.
2: No doubt. Maybe that's a good omen for the the Knowles, and uh, I would appreciate that because they are my national championship picks. So we'll see. We'll watch this story as it mm-hmm. develops. <laughs> Uh, sticking in Florida, Joe. Uh, kind of on the flip side of the Stetson, a super regional team from a year ago, the the Cinderella story for the Hatters. Uh, we thought they were going to be pretty good this season. I, I still think they are, but they're 0 3 after uh, you know getting swept in their home uh, their their own tournament uh, by Virginia Tech five nothing on opening day with Mitchell Sainer on the mound, their their Team USA uh, ace. And then uh, you know, they also lost to Manhattan, and, and then Sam Houston State. Joe, what do you make of the Hatters' opening weekend?
4: Yeah, it was tough uh, for them. I, you know, I I think the first thing is to to have proper perspective on this, and it's you know it was going to be asking a lot for anyone uh, at at this level in the Atlantic Sun team to kind of replicate what they did in last season. So that was never the expectation. Um, so you have to kind of look at through that lens, but still, we—I mean, this is the favor in the Atlantic Sun, and, and they still could could get to that point. It's important to note, um, but it, but it is kind of concerning, especially offensively. Uh, this is was still going to be a pitching first team, and uh, and for the most part, they did pitch well. M- Mitchell Singer wasn't perfect, and he walked five in his fourth and third innings. Uh, that was kind of the primary culprit of his issues there. Um, but otherwise, you know, he had eight strikeouts. He allowed one hit in that four and a third inning. So, you know, as long as he, he comes into, uh, subsequent weekends with a little bit better control, you have to figure that stuff will kind of get smoothed out there. But Robbie Pito was good in his start. Ryan Stark was good in his start. Chris Gonzalez was good out of the bullpen. So the, the pitching was really for the most part there. It was just the offensive part of it. And that's where we always knew it was going to be more of a struggle. I've been kind of bullish on their offense overall, being maybe a little bit more physical. Uh, This season, but that wasn't the case in opening weekend. They hit 167 as a team, uh, just slugged 219. Three extra base hits on the, or I'm sorry, four extra base hits on the weekend, three walks, and a triple. So um, that is kind of concerning. Now, if you want to look at kind of a silver lining on this, it's that uh, a lot of the guys who had the most struggles opening weekend are some of the guys you're probably most confident are going to bounce back from that. Uh, Jorge Arenas, uh, just one for 10 on the weekend. Jonathan Miola, one for 10 on the weekend. Andrew McNeil, 0 for 12. And those are three guys who you kind of know what you're going to get from them. So you, you figure water is going to find its level on on, on those guys. So uh, we'll kind of keep watching it, but certainly it, it, it doesn't look great just from the standpoint of, you know, we were concerned about how productive they'd be from an offensive standpoint. And then they, you know, they went out this weekend and hit just 167 as a club. Now, the other side of that is that, uh, first of all, we know, we know what Sam Houston state is. I mean, they've got a stable of arms that, Uh, you know, as good as as just about any of the mid-major level, um, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, could pitch successfully. The Power Five level, they're draftable guys. So you you know that they're going to pitch well, and so the struggles against them are are one thing. And and Virginia Tech might be better uh, than we've been giving them credit for. So um, two of those three teams might end up uh, might end up being bad losses by the end of the season, and we'll, we'll see what Manhattan ends up being. So, you know, maybe it's one of those things where when you take into account the way they arrived at 0-3 and potentially the level of competition that it's not as bad as it seems right now. But with that being said, like I said, it is a little bit scary that uh, the biggest concern ended up being a huge, huge problem for them over the
2: opening weekend. Yeah, and I I feel bad in, in some respects, that, but they did this to themselves with the year they had last year. You know, if... Stetson starts 0-3 in a you know most seasons that, that that's not going to be particularly noticed outside of Deland, uh, but when you make the jump that they did last year and have the year that they did, um, you know and, and then look like a team that that should be back in the tournament again this year, uh, and, and you come out and, and this is the way you start your season at home, uh, it it does kind of raise an eyebrow, and so I, it'll be interesting to watch how they uh, how they correct from this and. And move forward, but I, I do think that the competition level is better than like that might just appear on paper. Uh, Sam definitely looks like a, a regional caliber team again, and John Sheff in his second year at Virginia Tech now does seem to have the Hokies moving in the right direction at least on opening weekend. Um, down in Starkville, Mississippi, the New Duty Noble Field finally fully opened. Uh, last year was kind of a soft opening, but now it's completely done. The pictures and video that came out of there uh, definitely lived up to what the renderings had been for so long on that $55 million facility. Mississippi state rolled through Youngstown state. Um, the penguins did not put up much of a fight after hanging tough with the bulldogs for about six innings, maybe seven innings on Friday night. And then after that, the the floodgates really opened for Mississippi state. Dave, I, I don't think that we learned anything about the Bulldogs this weekend, um, but they had a nice weekend, and they have this stadium open. And I know that everyone in college baseball has been watching this stadium project over the last few years. Just how how fun is it now that, that this is open? And, and then looking ahead, Mississippi State this weekend has, has Southern Miss, and they are going to be tested much more uh, in the in the weekend ahead.
3: Well, first and foremost, I, I let's look at the stadium situation. I. I've been fortunate enough through my career to be there a few times, and it's an unbelievable – it was an unbelievable atmosphere before to go into with wonderful people, wonderful fan support, true lovers of college baseball. In fact, when you kind of look over the times of college baseball, I'd say Mississippi State fan base kind of started what college baseball has at many of these big programs now, and I can't even imagine – Um, what the new dude is like now. I'm anxious to get there and see it. It looks beautiful from all the pictures. But kudos to all those people because they deserve it. Like I said, that fan base is rabid. They're they're a wonderful support of that program. And I I agree. I think we're going to get a little bit better test this weekend against Southern Miss. Um, Obviously, uh, Mississippi State is a story program. I I believe they like what they have. They've got some, some good young players and a returning mix. Um, I'm excited to see what what happens this weekend, but I I, I believe Mississippi State's going to be uh, uh, in the mix of the SEC like they each, they are each and every year, and the new stadium is only going to help them year in and year out recruit more players to that that story program.
2: Absolutely. Uh, sticking in the SEC, uh, Joe, you got a chance to look at uh, what is the new look Kentucky. They also have a new stadium, but they did not open the year in it. Um, that opening day for for the new uh, ballpark in lexington still still to come. But from what you saw as they went and, and won their series against Austin P, again, not maybe the best competition, but they were on the road. And this is a very different looking Kentucky team than it was a year ago. So what did you come? What were your impressions coming away uh, from the Wildcats?
4: Well, I talked to to Nick Mingione, and, and I asked him, what would it take for this team uh, to be a postseason team again? And, and he quickly, the first thing out of his mouth was, "We got to pitch better, uh, starting pitching in particular." And and I think if you squint, you can see this being a regional team just from that standpoint. Zach Thompson on Friday was kind of exactly what you wanted to see. He did have three walks and four innings, and his his control would kind of come. in. There were specific at bats where the, the control would kind of be lost. One of those was the opening batter of the game, so you see that, but um but he threw everything he had for strikes Uh, the fastball was 89 93 which it was low 40s and drizzly so that's about as good as you can expect in those kind of conditions and the um so you saw the stuff there that the breaking ball was absolutely devastating he was throwing it for a strike he was throwing it in the in the dirt when he needed to you just kind of got the sense that that when he needed a pitch he was putting it in the right in the right place and and he got it in a couple small jams first and third innings and uh you could always just kind of see him lock back in and buckle down whenever a guy would get into scoring position that next batter didn't have a chance um so you know you saw what you needed to see there nine strikeouts in those four innings really uh dominated throughout much of that game uh certainly there wasn't really any hard contact. The only hit he allowed was a chopper infield single um, in, in the first inning. And that, that was that was it. Otherwise he dominated there. And I really liked what I saw from Jimmy Ramsey in the second spot. A big 6-9 righty. Uh, that is just an uncomfortable at-bat. He comes at you with a lot of knees and elbows, that tough angle, you know, from from the light tower essentially. Um, but he was in complete command um you know throughout the game. He ended up with eight strikeouts himself in five innings. His stuff is not quite as electric. As Zach Thompson, but he was really, really consistent with it. And then they went with the freshman and Dylan Marsh on Sunday, and I wasn't there for the Sunday game. Um, but he was outstanding as well. Uh, just two hits and a run and four innings, no walks, four strikeouts there. Uh, and then Carson Coleman, if you, know, if you were a little worried that Chris Mockimer isn't there anymore to close out games, I think Carson Coleman... Um, is kind of the the next edition of that three and two thirds innings over the weekend in two different games six strikeouts no hits no walks it doesn't get any really much cleaner than that so um, you know that's from the pitching standpoint now they used a bunch of other guys in the bullpen throughout the weekend because a lot of the, for a lot of the time their games were in hand so it kind of remains to be seen what other roles take shape there but, but that top four those three starting pitchers plus Carson Coleman uh, you know really gave me a lot of confidence in their ability to compete on the pitching staff you know, offensively it's kind of a neat mix I mean. Kentucky, for a long time, has kind of been associated with physical offenses going back years now, and I think you're going to see a lot of that still. Uh, T.J. Collette, of course, is a guy that that we know, and, and he's kind of an easy guy to root for. He struggled with injuries throughout his Kentucky career, but um, he's kind of a fun player to watch. His teammates clearly have a lot of affection for him. He's you know uh, just a really good dude, uh, but he had two absolute rocket home runs over the weekend, one of which was straight down the right field line that never got up, I don't know, more than 15 feet off the ground. Um, it was just an incredible swing of the bat. Uh, he had a big weekend with a couple of home runs. Dalton Reed is a JUCO transfer at first base who's just got incredible raw power. You could just see it as he walked to the plate, but he had a big weekend. And then Jaron Shelby um, is a guy, whose name you might recognize there. His his brothers, John T. and, and Javon, uh, played at Kentucky not so long ago. He's kind of the next in line there of the, the Lexington baseball-playing Shelbys. Uh, and he had a big weekend as well, uh, a 7 for 14 throughout the weekend. So those guys uh, kind of led the way, but I, I liked a couple of other guys. Third baseman Braden Daniel uh, and center fielder Cam Hill. Braden Daniel's kind of a versatile infielder who just kind of oozes athleticism. Uh, he had a big weekend. And then Cam Hill's a guy, you know, if you like players who kind of go all out in everything they do, Cam Hill's kind of your guy. He stole a few bases over the weekend, legged out a couple extra base hits uh, right at the top of the order. So, um, just kind of a more versatile offense, I think. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they can beat you, and, and this team has a lot of energy. I mean, that's kind of what I kept coming back to, is it seems a team that is very focused on, like, yeah, last year happened, but it was just kind of a speed bump. And, and th- we're, this is still a program that in the long term has momentum, in, in the wider view has momentum. And I think I think they're going to be someone, uh, a team that other teams are going to have to deal with in the SEC. Now, the, the issue is, and we've talked about this with a program like Tennessee, is... Somebody's got to lose games in the SEC. Um, and, you know, we have them on the outside, Kentucky, that is, on the outside looking in and the field is 64, and it's just such a tough uphill climb. Uh, so I I don't know that it's in the cards necessarily that they're going to get there, but I came out of the weekend feeling like it's not necessarily a blind leap of faith to think that they could get there. So I came away pretty impressed. Again, um, you know, there were some things that, uh, you know, worked against them, the, you know, the, the weather and just being on the road, but... Um, they took care of business in, in in the opening weekend, like you would have hoped to see from them to have confidence in that. Um, so I'm kind of eager to see uh, what they do the rest of the season because I like I said, I, I do think they can get there. It's just gonna be a real tough road.
2: Yeah, that's uh it's an interesting rebuild to an extent, reload, whatever um, after they lost so many players last year. Yeah, it will be uh, it will be very interesting to see how how Minch uh, pieces that together. Uh, you know, both offensively and defensively because outside of Zach Thompson and Jimmy Ramsey, like I, I have a feeling a lot of jobs are, are still open. Um, you know, they have options behind a lot of these guys. So it, it'll be interesting to, to watch Kentucky moving forward. Now we've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground here uh, on the podcast so far. And I, it may seem like there's not more, but there's plenty more. There are 300 division one college baseball teams. We could talk forever, but I want to just give us all an opportunity here to uh, to shout out, uh, you know, a, a player, a program, someone, uh, or a couple of someones uh, who had, you know, caught your eye this week, who, who did something that, that maybe has flown under the radar, but d- is deserving of a, of a mention here. So, Dave, uh, who, uh, who, who caught your eye this weekend around the country? Well, I
3: know that people are going to probably accuse me of home cooking, but I am going to stay close to home. Uh, First off, uh, the player that stood out for me was West Virginia's right-handed pitcher, junior Alec Manoa. uh, In a loss against Kennesaw State, he went six innings, 13 strikeouts, but probably more importantly for me and probably scouts around the country with zero walks. And I guess it was a dominating performance. Unfortunately for Alec, the bullpen cost or gave up the lead late for a 5-3 loss, but Um, Gave up one earned run, uh, gave up five hits in six innings, but 13 strikeouts and zero walks. So he's the player that stood out for me. Uh, The team, again, staying close to home, kind of goes under the radar against Appalachian State uh, University of Tennessee's pitching staff gave up zero runs over the course of the weekend. No runs for the first time in school history of not giving up a run in a weekend series. So kudos to the pitchers and the pitching staff led by Frank Anderson, um, at the University of Tennessee. And then lastly, uh, because it's where I come from, I'd like to give a shout-out to all the coaches in their uh, first game, uh, getting their first win at a new program. Uh, I want to especially highlight uh, Benny Orloff, my former player, getting win number one in the, the second game of a doubleheader against the University of Washington, one of many to come his way. And then also want to recognize uh, Jim Nagel winning game uh, 650 on Saturday night. And Kevin O'Sullivan winning game 500 this weekend. He was the fastest ever to reach 500 as a head coach at the University of Florida. So good job by all those all those people.
2: Absolutely. And, and uh, Orloffs and Eaters uh, came back after losing that first game of the doubleheader to, to Washington. Uh, they had their opener rained out on Friday night, pushed back to Saturday. they lose the first one. And they come back. They win the next two games. And the, the game on Sunday... Uh, they had a nice comeback in the uh late late innings there against the Huskies to to claim a big series win. Uh and, and the Eaters are off and running here in 2019. A, definitely a team to watch uh in the Big West. Joe, what do you got?
4: Got a couple here. Uh they're gonna be very on brand for me. They're pretty off the radar. But but one is uh Illinois State, uh not just sweeping Belmont and head coach Steve Holmes first uh weekend, uh but scoring 51 runs doing so. Uh, Now, you might have heard a little bit about this series because it was kind of going around uh, college baseball Twitter on Friday, just kind of marveling at the fact that they had an extra inning game against Belmont where they scored 16 runs in the 11th inning. Uh, so that was pretty incredible. But they, they really showed good offense throughout the weekend. Uh, like I said, scoring 51 runs all told. So that's a heck of a way for Holm to uh, begin his career at Illinois State. And maybe Illinois State may be a little bit of a sneaky team in the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, the talent is pretty, pretty good there. Uh, John Rave is a guy you may have heard of. He's kind of a, a big 2019 draft guy. And they've got some arms there as well. So they're kind of a team I'm interested to watch as the season goes on. One of the others is the University of Portland. They won three of four at Hawaii, a Hawaii team that we know can, can pitch pretty well, if nothing else. So that's a big series win for them. Portland's a program that's been uh, building kind of uh, slowly but surely under Jeff Loomis. This is a program that won 23 games last year, which is the most they had won since 2012. Uh, You know, the West Coast Conference is one of those leagues where they all kind of beat up on each other a little bit. So it's really, it's another league where it is kind of a hard climb to kind of separate yourself. So Portland's still got some building to do to be up near the top of that league, but uh, certainly getting more competitive. And I think uh, winning three or four against Hawaii is a good step in that direction.
2: Well, if we're uh, all going to stay on brand, so will I. Um, let's, uh, let's start it with uh, Ball State right-hander Dre Jamison, who kind of thrust into to Friday night duty against Stanford, the number seven team in the country. Uh, you know, he went out and threw six no-hit innings, and he did allow an unearned run, a couple walks, but he struck out nine. Uh, a really nice start for Jamison. Who is a draft eligible sophomore, and he has a huge arm. He's a little on the short side. They list him at six feet tall. That's he's not six feet tall. Um, but he is he's an he's a power arm that that Ball State has there in their rotation, and uh, it'll be interesting to watch as as Ball State's rotation develops. Kyle Nicholas did not throw particularly well against Grand Canyon, and John Baker is a little banged up. But if they can get that going, uh, the Cardinals, a team to watch in the MAC, and then also uh southern carrick jackson in his second season uh taking over that program they went 3-0 and in the andre dawson classic down in new orleans they beat florida a&m grambling state and alcorn state and, and southern's a team that was just 9 and 33 a year ago they didn't have a winning weekend and now here they are starting off with a, a sweep uh to, to start 2019 so I, I think the jaguars you know they Carrick inherited a program that had some issues in terms of APR stuff. And um, I, though he's going to do a good job there. And, and I think this weekend, uh, you know, it could be the start of something uh, exciting down there and uh, you know, to, to have a three and O start after what they went through last year, I think is a, uh, is a very encouraging sign for the Jaguars. All right. So that brings us to the end of uh, our, our podcast here. Uh, I, We've, uh, we've covered an awful lot of ground, and there's plenty more over at BaseballAmerica.com if you still need uh, your college baseball fix to be filled. Uh, you can see the Top 25 poll in its entirety. Uh, my off-the-bat column uh, is posted with its uh, roundup of, of things around the country from the weekend, focusing on Stanford, TCU, and Connecticut. We'll have plenty more throughout the week. Uh, leading up to uh, to next week, and then there will be a whole new top twenty-five uh, on Monday, and we'll we'll do this all over again. So, make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast, so that it uh, you you don't have to do anything to find it; it just rolls into your favorite podcasting device. Uh, and while you're there, uh, if you can leave us a review or rate us, uh, we we certainly appreciate that as well. Uh, as long as it's a positive review, of course. Uh, ho- hopefully, we've earned that today. Um, so remember to, uh, to do that and to, to check out everything at, at BaseballAmerica.com. And we will be back next week uh, with uh, a- another edition of the Baseball America podcast. So thank you, Joe. Thank you, Dave. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you later